We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad, hope you've had a good week. Um, tonight has been a good night so far. One of the things I love about church, and I tell you this all the time, is the longer you are in church and the more invested you are in church and the more faithful you are to church and the better you get to know people in church, it really does become family. It's family. And I think it's important that we treat it like family and that we laugh like family. And when you have family, you've got those people that you just love to be around. Everybody's got that crazy aunt that you don't know what in the world she's going to say. That's a lot like church. You've got a little bit of everybody mixed in. Well, it was kind of like a family gathering tonight. I was uh, walking through, and I'm trying to speak to people. You know, everybody's eating dinner. So after I ate, I'm making my way down the aisles. And um, I came down the last aisle just a few minutes ago. And um, right, I mean, right when I got up to the chair, um, sweet, sweet little girl um, is sitting right there. I won't call her name, but she's just sitting right there. And she's, she stands up in the little plastic chair and right when I walked by, she fell out of the chair. Like, I did not touch the chair. I did not touch the child. But it could not have looked more like I knocked this kid out of this chair. So she falls, falls out of the chair. So I immediately, when she falls out of the chair, she's fine. But I immediately just went down and picked her up off the ground. Well, I didn't notice the sippy cup that was laying on the ground beside her. So when I picked her up, I didn't know that when she fell out of the chair, she had a completely full mouth of apple juice. And when I picked her up, I think, I think this little kid actually took a deep breath in through her nose because projectile, whoosh, I mean, just dusted me all over the face with the, with, the, with the apple juice, and then we went to screaming. So I'm trying to tell, the, I didn't do it. I didn't throw her on the floor. I promise. And I think, they got a, I think they got a kick out of it, though. I don't think anybody was too mad. So we made it, we made it through that. Hopefully you are enjoying this Christmas season. You're finding a reason to laugh. You're finding and a reason to smile. You're finding a deep reason for the faith that we profess in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles tonight, open them with me to James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And we're going to look, um, we're going to ask a really important question tonight as we walk through this passage together. And one of the things that I think sometimes people get confused about is when we talk about that we are saved by grace alone, which we have talked a great bit about in here, and we talk about that we're saved by grace through faith alone, what does it mean or what does it look like to have a saving faith? If someone has faith, what does that saving faith really look like? And I think one of the things that can be often confusing is when we say we are not saved by works, Often people will take that to mean that your works don't mean anything. But the Bible has something to say about what a faith that is true faith, what that really looks like, how a person can tell whether or not they're exercising true saving faith. Um, and so tonight, our big idea, you see that uh, if you picked up a paper on the way in. Did everybody get a sheet of paper on the way in? Anybody need a sheet of paper? Um, Jamie Palmer will be more than happy to go out and get anybody one. Everybody's got one? All right, great. I'm glad y'all have one. Appreciate y'all looking along. Let's read together James chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Let's read this together. 
What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. I want you to just remember that for just a second. Uh, We're going to get back to verse 24 specifically. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what we see here that James is talking about, especially when we jump right into verse 15, is that there is such a thing as someone that has dead faith. When someone makes the assumption that words are as good as works, 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is, when we get right down to it, I think this goes to the heart of what one of the issues that we have, not only in the Baptist church, but in just about every Protestant church. There are a lot of people that may be believing on a profession of faith, even though they aren't possessed by the God of the profession. And let me explain what I mean by that. Especially in the South, if you were to ask people, are you saved? What do you think the majority of people might tell you? They might say yes. Someone might ask you what I think is an excellent question. They might look at you and say, saved from what? But if they have any religious background, most people say, oh yeah, oh yeah. And if they say, oh yeah, I'm saved, and then you begin to probe that, why do you believe you're going to heaven? Why do you believe you're saved? Quite often, that will go back to a quote-unquote decision that was made a long time ago. Now, I want to be careful here because you cannot have faith without making a decision. You have to make a decision. But a past decision, if it is not accompanied by present-day faith, which is going to have works that go along with it, it means that that's not a real faith. In other words, it's impossible to say, I have saving faith, but there's no evidence by my life. I have nothing with, that you could tell that I was saved by the way that I live. So the reason this is confusing is people will say, well, does that mean that we are saved by our works? Absolutely not. It wouldn't matter what you did, you couldn't earn salvation. But if you have truly received grace, you will be so overwhelmed by the grace that you have experienced that you won't be able to help but do good works. You won't be able to help but to try to do things in your life and change things and become more holy and desire the things of God. And so I like the way John Calvin worded it. He said, faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. 
In other words, if you're truly justified, your life is going to produce the fruit of that. Um, One could make boastful claims about a corpse, but without vital signs, evidence is that the corpse is actually dead. When he is talking about this, he's saying, if you look at someone's life, that's the point he's making all the way through verse 18. He says, he's making the point that if you claim to have faith, you're going to do things that go alongside that. Um, Sometimes I'll hear people make comments from time to time, well, um, do, do you have a saving faith? And someone might say, yeah, now, you know, I'm... I gave my life to Jesus, but then they'll begin to give me a whole list of reasons why their life doesn't look like they made that decision. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, but, you know, I I hadn't been in church in a long time. And, you know, I mean, Brother Larry, I like to drink. And, you know, I... I got some things going on that ain't right. And they'll list all of these things that are going on in their life. As an, and they're, they're telling you, you may not be able to see any evidence of this, but I have made a decision. I'm not saying, and the text is not saying, that someone that's truly saved is not going to sin. The text is saying that if you're truly saved, you're going to care about that. You're going to desire the things of God. You're going to pursue the things of God. You're going to desire the word of God. You're going to desire the worship of God. You're going to desire the conviction that only God can give. So when we try to divorce faith and works, that's one of the main problems that was taking place in the New Testament. And Paul addressed this in Romans, and now James is addressing it. There were actually people that taught that you were, once you were saved, that you should sin more because by sinning, God had more of an opportunity to give you more grace. So if you wanted to get more grace, you had to sin more to get more grace. So they actually taught that you should indulge yourself even more. And so what Paul addressed in Romans and James is addressing here is that that is a damning theology when we claim to know God, but by our actions, we deny him. It's one of the reasons that I think that people who are not living for the Lord, but claim to have saving faith, live in quite a tension all of the time. Because one of the most convicting verses of Scripture is not just about the dead faith, but look at verse 19. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. A demonic faith. It is possible to believe in God and have a demonic faith. You, you're, you say you're talking about it's possible to believe in the God of Scripture and have a demonic faith. Absolutely. Do you remember when Jesus cast out demons? They knew exactly who he was. What do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They would identify him. Sometimes they identified him verbally before Jesus even wanted to be identified. Do you remember when he cast them into the pigs? Do you remember when the man was, and he said, my name is Legion, and he cast them into the pigs? We remember time after time that they would call out, that they would shriek, that they knew immediately who he was. Do you not think that when we read in Ezekiel and Isaiah, when we read about that Satan fell from heaven, that Satan knew who Jesus was while Satan, before he ever fell? It's one of the reasons that Satan tried to take over the throne is because he wanted to usurp the role of Christ. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. Why do you think it is that in Genesis chapter 3, when he tempts 
Adam and Eve, and successfully they sin. Now the curse comes, and we are told that from Genesis chapter 3 on that he is going to be at their heels and striking at their heels. And from that time on, everything that takes place is Satan at war against the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the Messiah that came. I've been reading through the Christmas story in my own I'll do every Christmas, my own personal quiet time. And one of the most disturbing parts of the whole Christmas story is when you read in Matthew about they, them having to take Jesus and they go in exile, right, to Egypt. Why? Because Satan has so overtaken the heart of Herod that he declares that every child under two years old be murdered. Every young man under two years old. And so they had infanticide all across the country because Satan so incited these people against Christ. Now, do you think that Satan would wage war on something that he doesn't believe in? No. Satan absolutely believes in Jesus. It's one of the reasons why in evangelism we've got to better do, do a better job of probing people when you say, why do you believe that you're saved? And they say, well, I believe in God. Well, okay. What else? Well, I believe in Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe he died on the cross. Do you know that's still not enough? Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross. Well, I believe he rose again. That won't do it either. Satan, every demon of hell, knows that Jesus died. They know he rose again. So what is the difference then? The difference in what James is describing is there is a difference in a demonic faith and then third, a dynamic faith. Look, look watch this. He said, do you want evidence without faith that do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he talks about Abraham and Ra Abraham being considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac. And so he gives these examples, even in verse 25, he talks about Rahab and Rahab, what Rahab did when she hid the spies. It is not if you believe, but it's who you believe and what you believe. And so in the case of a demonic faith versus a dynamic faith, Satan believes in Jesus. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross. Satan believes that Jesus rose from the dead. So what is the difference in Satan's faith and your faith? That's a pretty important question. What is the difference in Satan's belief and what you believe? If you have not submitted to the lordship of Christ then you're not saved. Satan has not bowed his knee to the person and lordship of Christ. And that is a missing element in evangelism because we say all you need to do is believe. No, you need to repent. And to repent, you have to admit that you're a sinner, apologize before a holy God, admit that he is Lord and that you are not, and ask him to take control of your life. All of those things are in addition to believing that he is God, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave. That's the difference in a faith alone that we're talking about here between a demonic faith and a dynamic faith. So when we do things for the Lord, um, take anything. Um, you give an offering. You serve the church. You sing in the choir. You witness to someone. You're kind. You pick up a child when they fall out of the chair, only get it spit upon with apple juice. When you do things like that, when you really put yourself out there and try to do nice things, 
Are you doing that because you are hoping to earn favor with God? Or are you doing those things because you've already earned favor with God? There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. I liken it to, um, I'm in my almost two decades now of being married, I am so thankful, even though I still date my wife, I'm glad I'm not courting her anymore. And when I say courting her, I mean trying to get her to say yes. Like that was a feat. Like I realized that I was way over my head. I had to put on my A game. I had to absolutely show out because I knew like when, when we met, I had that conversation with myself this is the best you are going to do. If you, I don't know if any of you ever had, like, you have no shot with anybody better than this. You've got to close the deal. Like, I knew that immediately. So I had to, you have to kind of absolutely in those moments, you are doing all you can. I mean, you're making sure the shirt is right. You're trying to go to the right restaurant. You're buying flowers. You're checking your breath all of the time. I mean, you got it all going, right? You've got everything going because you're trying to, because you want to try to make that, make that connection. You want to earn her favor. You want her to be your girlfriend, eventually be your fiance, to be your wife. Now though, I am, we are married, and it's not that I still don't want to court her, but it's for different reasons. Because now we're married, and I am doing the things that I'm doing for her, not to try to earn her love or try to convince her that she should love me, but I'm doing those things because she does love me, and out of the relationship comes the action. When we get saved, the reason we do what we do is because we already know God loves us. I already know that I'm accepted. I already know I have his grace. So that becomes a greater motivator that anything I want to do is not to try to earn favor. It's because we have favor. And that's the difference in a dynamic faith. Um, I want somebody, uh, I want to show you what I think is really important. And we've we've got a minute to do that. Leave your hand there in James 2. And flip over to Romans 3.28. Two verses of Scripture. I want us to to go back and forth and look at these tonight. I want to give you a chance to do that. And I want you to read silently James 2.24. And then I want you to flip over and read... Romans 3.28. Once I've given everybody a chance to do that, anybody see a problem? Have you read? Go ahead and read James. And I want to read that out loud again so everybody can hear it. James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is that a contradiction? Who wrote Romans? Paul. Who wrote James? That's the easy one, James. By the way, that's the half-brother of Jesus, James, not the not the Apostle James, but Jesus' half-brother. 
we see two verses of Scripture that look eerily contradictory. One is telling us in Romans, in verse 28, that faith apart from observing the law is how one is justified. And then when we flip over, and let me read it again, James 2, 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So some have actually taken these two verses of Scripture to argue that the Bible contradicts itself, that they disagreed on these two issues. But what they're writing about here is actually two sides of the same coin. When we use Abraham as the example, in fact, if you've kept reading in Romans 3, you, it's interesting that you actually get to the example of Abraham in Romans 4, and James used him as an example in chapter 2. But when both of them use Abraham, the point is that Abraham was not justified by his actions, but the pronouncement by God was proven by his actions. Justification or being declared righteous by Jesus' work on the cross is a one-time act. God does it, not us, and he does it once and for all. Works are the proof that we have been justified. Works make public what happened privately. So when it says that Abraham was justified by his faith, it is, and then we see that it is by his works, when God credited Abraham, credited his faith to him as righteousness, after that, what we find is that the works of Abraham match up with God's declaration about him. If you are saved, God has declared you righteous. Did you know that? You have been declared righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have been declared righteous. You are justified. That means you are declared righteous in front of God. Now, because you have been declared righteous, there is a calling on our lives that we act righteously, that we would live up to the calling that has been placed on our lives. And so James is helping us to understand that what we do publicly shows the world what God has done inside of us privately. And so we come and ask ourselves some, some really basic questions. And I think these are, I wrote these down for you guys because I think these are worth asking. Um, I think this is a great, great way for us all to, to go back and examine our own faith. Question one, was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and I admitted it to myself and to God? Was there a time that I remember that I could admit that I knew for a fact that I was a sinner and I went before God? We mentioned the difference in a dynamic and a demonic faith. One of those is repentance. There has to be repentance. Number two, have I ever truly been broken over sin in my life? I'm not talking about before you got saved. I'm talking about since you've gotten saved, has there been anything in your life that you have been broken over, that you have been convicted of? Now, you said, wait, you're probably saying, now, wait a minute. You said that we should be living lives where we are showing that the works that we have. And if I'm convicted of sin, that would mean there is sin in my life. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. There's still going to be sin in your life. One of the greatest evidences of the fact that you're justified is that the Holy Spirit convicts you of that and you've repented of it. Every person that I know that has walked with God for more than 
a few weeks, has had a time subsequent to their salvation where God has shown them the error of their ways, convicted them of sin by the Scripture, and they have been subsequently repentant over that sin. Do I truly understand that Christ died for my sins and that I cannot save myself? Do I sincerely repent of my sins and turn from them, or do I secretly love sin and rather enjoy it? Have I trusted Christ alone? We're going to talk about faith, Christ alone next week. And do I have a living relationship with Him? Has there really been a change in my life? Can other people tell that I have been with Jesus? I think Acts 4 is one of the most convicting passages of Scripture to me when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin and they've declared the gospel and then they simply said that they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. I, I would love that for people just to be able to say that over my life. Man, I was around that dude and I can tell he's, he spent a little time with Jesus. I think that's a pretty simple testimony. That's, he, it's obvious that that, that person has a, a relationship. Has there been a change in my life? Can others tell I've been with Jesus? Am I trying to grow in my faith? Do I want to grow? Do I really want to grow? Um, you know, sometimes we all get on kicks. Have you ever gotten on, about a, on a kick about anything? Sometimes we'll get on a kick about finances and spending, and we're really going to buckle down. And you really know whether or not you've buckled down if in three months you're still doing what you said you were going to do three months ago. Any of you ever gotten on a kick about a diet? How many of y'all tried the, uh, the old low-carb thing? Anybody in here done that? See, here's my problem. I don't really do well with doing things halfway. So I did that, and when I tell you went crazy, I mean, stayed under 50 grams like of carbs, eating nothing but meat. It sounded great, like carnivore. I mean, I, mean, I was eating like... 12 eggs a day, I was eating nothing, chicken, cooking steaks, and it, I'll be honest, for a little while I was like, this is fantastic, but it was not something that you could maintain. I lost like 12 pounds, I mean, just, I mean, almost immediately, but at some point, a piece of bread is coming into your life. At some point, rice is at the table at some point a baked potato is just going to be part of, and I realize this isn't something that I don't think that I can maintain forever and ever and ever and sometimes those the diet like that it reminds me of some people in church like it's like we came and we got this kind of woohoo let's follow Jesus and for two weeks just like they're reading their bible and committed but then all of a sudden a month passes and two months pass and you're like, wait a minute, where was all that commitment? Now, we all go through ebbs and flows, and I understand that. But what we ought to see in our life is that it isn't like a fad diet or a financial, some passing fad of a financial plan, but it is a commitment that stands the test of time. Do I really seek to grow? Do I have a desire to share my faith? Do I have a desire to share my faith? Now, when I ask that question, a lot of people get discouraged because they think, well, I'm not really an outgoing person. I'm not one of those people, um, you know, we've got some folks and, and in our church, and I'm so proud of them. I mean, there's some people that go to church here that would witness to a rock. I mean, we really do. We have some people here that would unabashedly, within the first five minutes of conversation, start sharing their faith, and that's awesome. 
Not all of us sometimes have the personality that we're going, I'm not really that confrontational of a person. I'm not, you know, it takes me a little longer. I'm not asking you whether or not you're comfortable putting on a sign and standing in the street and screaming. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you are saved, God ought to come up in your conversations. Jesus ought to come up in your conversations. Salvation should come out of your mouth at some times. Something about what God's shown you in Scripture, that ought to be a regular part of your life if we're really serious about what it looks like um, to have a faith that there's evidence of that. Is worship a delight? Is worship a delight? In other words, do I really enjoy is it, is it just mundane? Do I just get through it? Or do I really enjoy worship? Private worship, corporate worship. Um, and then the last question, am I ready? Am I ready for Christ's return? Um, as we've talked about the difference in these two different kinds of faith, a demonic faith and certainly a dynamic faith, I think it really brings us back to look at and ask the very serious question, when we're talking to people about our faith, James would say, and I, I, if you carry this on out, if you're going to witness to people, have a life that matches up to your witness. Now, hear me out on this. I think some people don't witness to anybody because they say, well, I'm not perfect. I, I, don't, I, I got some stuff. I, I mess up from time to time. There's... Nobody is asking you to be perfect to be an evangelist. That's not the requirement. What, what I think James would argue from this passage is if you know in your life that you couldn't witness to somebody, that I, don't, I can't witness to them because I'm scared to death they might actually watch me, that's really what we're talking about. Not that they'd watch you and see that you messed up, but watch you and really see... That's a person that truly with their life, they're dedicated. That's a person that cares about Jesus. That's a person that cares about their faith. And when that happens, we win the credibility in the eyes of others because we've shown our credibility before God. And so we are, I'm so proud of a church that I truly believe in my, life, in my heart is a church filled with people with a dynamic faith that you're living that out. I'm excited um, this coming week, this coming Sunday, um, I appreciate so many of you as you've walked through it with me and prayed with me as we've walked through First and Second Thessalonians. We will finish up Second uh, Thessalonians this coming week. Uh, you want to be here um, for that. It's, a, I think, a very important message. The last few verses of Thessalonians may be um, really important to inform, especially how um, we view some things that are going on in our culture and our society right now. I want you to be here for that. Obviously, the Sunday after that is... Christmas that I just told you is going to be white and what could be more I mean I might as well guess they guess and they're not half right half the time so we can all be together and have a white Christmas at FBC Summit you come you be a part of that we're excited what a better time to invite somebody to church I mean if you're not going to come on Christmas or Easter right right so invite somebody maybe you invite family maybe you invite friends Invite them to be a part of what God's doing here, what God's going to be a part of. Uh, so excited. Um, you'll see some things going on on campus right now. We're finishing up some paving right now. We'll ask you to be, certainly to be patient. We've got some paving that's going down, down at the bottom, and there's going to be some paving that's taking place um, 
right behind the children's wing. Um, so it may take us a minute to get all the lines down. So that shouldn't bother anybody in Pike County because nobody really pays attention to lines in Pike County anyway. You just basically stop where you can put it in park. So that's what we're going to do for a couple of weeks till we get some yellow lines in. But y'all help us with that. Be patient as we walk through that, walk through that together. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Be sure this week that you pick up your prayer sheets, that you make your contacts contacts let somebody know that you love them i want to remind you of something and i was reminded of this right before i walked in here tonight and i'm not going to say um a ton specifically i just want to remind you that every one of you has some people in your life or a lot of people in your life that mean a whole lot i was reminded today that i want to do a better job of telling people while they're alive what they've done for me would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for a church family that I love and a church family that loves me back. And Jesus, I thank you that you're a savior that comes in flesh and knows what it is to hurt, knows what it is to have pain, knows what it is to have sorrow. And God, you did that for us to the glory of God. Amazing. So Lord, as we celebrate and think about that holy night, that divine night when you came to this earth. Lord, I pray that we give you the honor that you are due. And Lord, that the faith that we have placed in you would so impact our lives that we would live it out. That Lord God, you would be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray over this church and for the people in it. Lord, I ask that you would do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. God, I pray that you work healing where only you can work healing. God, I pray that you mend relationships in a way that only you can mend relationships. I pray that you break addiction in a way that only you can break addiction. I thank you that you're my God and that I'll never have to spend a day wondering what it would be like to live without you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.